0: Afternoon. This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County, welcoming you to the August 2022 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, our monthly live interview show the second Monday of each month on WPKN 89.5 FM, bringing you news and information about the arts and culture across coastal Fairfield County. This month we celebrate one of the truly great music and performing arts institutions in our region and in the country, the Levitt Pavilion for the Performing Arts. And we'll also look at some of the other great venues and concert series offering high-quality and free music concerts during the summer in our region. We want to welcome today Frida and Carly Welsh the driving forces behind the Levitt Pavilion for the Performing Arts in Westport, and joining us on the phone later in the program will be Benny Wallace of Backcountry Jazz, talking about the Greenwich Jazz Festival, and Paul Frucht, Artistic Director of the Charles Ives Music Festival up in Ridgefield. But first, Frida and Carly, welcome to the show, and thanks for being with us.
1: Hello, David. We're so happy to be here. Thank you.
0: <laughs> That's great. Well, we'd better start out by describing the Levitt Pavilion for any out there who haven't heard or don't know about it. Um, tell us, so where is it? Um, what What does it look like? Uh, how can people find it?
1: <laughs> Wonderful. Well, in person, uh, it is located at 40 Jessup Road in downtown Westport. And if you were driving, you'd go past the Westport Library and you'd see it start to rise up. And I think it's best described as a spaceship, beautiful and sailing <laughs> right. along the banks of the Sagachuk River. Um, and so that, so it's sort of like a, a very physical geographical specific, um, location. We are on the banks of the Saga and we are outside. It does mean that we have the benefit of some gentle river breezes, mm. uh, that cools people off on these, uh, sort of hot nights.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so there's hot music, but, but cool breezes <laughs> and it's a great combination. And, um, we do, we're an open air theater and in, 2014, we cut the ribbon on an all-new facility, and uh, it was inspired, and it was designed beautifully by Peter Cadu, and a lot of the sort of sailing nature of our soaring roof and a beautiful parasol at the entrance, it does marry us to the river, so we do, there's a lot of like nautical imagery, huh. um, but it, and it, so it has a beautiful acoustic, it's quite stunning.
0: And um, so it was rebuilt in 2014. Peter Cadu was the architect? Yes. Yes.
1: Westport-based Peter Cadu Architects. Mm. And uh, I will tell you, the original wooden bandshell, which was designed beautifully at the time by Bruce Campbell Graham, Uh uh, lasted for decades. And uh, at the time that it was uh, decided that for both uh, plant management purposes, it had really, you know, weathered many storms, as you can imagine, in Connecticut, and it was a wooden bandshell by the river, and it, oh. we, our programming had also outgrown the facility, and uh, the, just the nature of the whole Levitt Pavilion experience needed to be redefined, including running water and state-of-the-art <laughs> lights right. and sound. And so uh, but the covered roof was obviously, you know, uh, very integral to what we wanted to do. And uh, at the time, uh, the, being a not-for-profit, uh, we always looked at, you know, the best way to get uh, value out of the campaign, and the fire department actually volunteered to set the wooden shell on fire as a, oh a my training gosh. exercise. <laughs> so um, I do, this is before we talked about carbon footprints and things like yes, that, but for right. us, it was a great money-saving um, way to demolish the Levitt Pavilion. Uh, huh. Frida to got to light a match. To all of its deficits um, in terms of design at the time, and um, and then we had a temporary stage that worked beautifully uh, for about seven years while we uh, completed the capital campaign uh, for the fundraising to to make the new pavilion what it is today.
0: So there have been three uh, iterations of the Levitt.
1: Yes, that's wow. yes, definitely yeah. three chapters
0: and and in- counting.
1: We we haven't <laughs> counted when we're gonna maybe. Uh, it's on the wish list. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a wish list, a vision board, and then a to-do list. Right now, this is on the wish list. But, the, you know, we're, we will look at a retractable roof just for uh, on those occasions that we do <laughs> rain or shine shows uh-huh. to mitigate the rain. Nothing, Nothing's out of bounds.
0: <laughs> well, that's great. So this last um, building was really very much like a phoenix uh, arising. And it does have that <laughs> sense of a uh, bird rising from the from the ground it's uh, quite magnificent, but Thank you. Uh, um perhaps more importantly than the building um the Levitt is um how should we describe it It's not exactly an institution institutions are a little um stolid dodgy <laughs> <But laughs> <laughs> tell us what the what the levet really is all about what's its ethos
1: well I, as you said it we are more than a building beautiful though it is uh, we are an organization and a presenting organization Uh, we exist as a not-for-profit and our primary identity is uh, centralized around three uh, things so it's like a triple helix Uh if if that's an okay way (laughs) to put it one is to provide abundant and free access to the performing arts the other is to present and compensate, of course, a diverse spectrum of artists and voices and points mm. of view mm. and performing art genres, mm. uh, all kinds of music, dance, comedy, a dedicated children's series, film, theater, um, installation. So we've, we've really just, again, it's very important to us that, you know, we're the Levitt Pavilion for the Performing Arts and that the sky is the limit. Uh, And lastly, the third part is to really remember that in addition to uh, prioritizing free access to the arts and also our relationship with artists, stewarding and supporting them at every stage of their career, there's also the community that's defined by the Levitt Pavilion. And so we're also really fundamentally devoted to outreach Mm -hmm. and uh, building out our audience. Uh, obviously serving underserved communities and individuals, but bringing people together, all backgrounds, uh, to come together and enjoy, to put down their phones and to enjoy <laughs> each other and the art amongst mm. nature. It's a really beautiful communion of all those three things.
0: And Kali, what's your reach? Um, how far do people come to concerts at Beloved? <laughs>
1: Well, it's funny you should ask because we will, uh, especially for um, our shows like Cheryl Crow or John Fogerty or Cyndi Lauper, yes. we will have people uh, fly in from... <laughs> Far, far away. Mm. Uh, I've taken ticket orders from California, Florida, Texas um, for people who are just really diehard fans and who want to see them in a special place. You know, mm. I mean, it's um, mm-hmm. it's like a sort of a Red Rocks kind of destination. And I'm, I'm quoting Don uh. Felder to drop to drop a name there. Um, the, <laughs> so he described this as the Red Rocks of Connecticut.
3: Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was just just there at Red Rocks, actually, in my Sun just went there. That's uh, an incredible natural uh, environment. Um, So um, can you tell us a little bit about how and why this all got started? And um, you've talked a little bit about how it's evolved, but, um, you know, I'm always one for origin (laughs) stories. I love to know how (laughs) things get, get going and then what happens to them once they've started.
1: We'll have we'll start our own um, Marvel series together because <laughs> <laughs> you, you have your own superhero arts powers. Um, we have uh, the Westport community uh, really came together in a unique and a way, and a meaningful way, and it and it really to, to time travel for a moment. If I think about uh, how arts forward and arts friendly Westport is. It, I mean, it too has an origin story as being an artist's enclave. And yes. it was a great place for yes. writers and visual artists. And, I mean, think about the Westport Country Playhouse being a, still to this day one of, I mean, just a premier uh, theater. Um, and so the Westport itself has, you know, arts right in its DNA. And, uh, but at the time, in the early 70s, there was... Um, Really a a community will that was articulated by the uh, Westport Young Women's League, by the Kiwanis, Mm -hmm. by the then Westport Weston Arts Council, uh, Mm -hmm. which has, you know, again, evolved into um, what is now actually MOCA and uh, MOCA Westport and uh, the Downtown Merchants Association and parks and recreation. Mm -hmm. And so what they envisioned was a place for the town to come together and have uh, a beautiful uh, performing arts festival, a free summer season. And uh, it was the Women's League who took it on as a signature fundraising cause and the Kiwanis uh, both were really... um, important in Mm -hmm. in doing this. And the downtown merchants also sold a booklet of coupons, if you will, uh, to help raise money. Bruce Campbell Graham donated his time and talent. Uh, Galt donated gravel. I mean, there were all sorts of... And then, of course, the town... Donated the land, and this goes back to Parks and Rec. Had three uh, locations in mind. One was down at Longshore. One was uh, down at Compo Beach, and the other was where we are today. And technically, the, this used to be a landfill. It was the it was the town dump. Just
3: oh my gosh, you know, yeah,
1: you could throw a stone and hit <laughs> Main Street. <laughs> so you think too in the great vision of transforming a landfill into Mm. a world-class performing arts center, they also, long before there was language around turning, you know, uh, brown space into green space to prioritizing open space, all those individuals involved were doing it and they Mm. really made it happen. And so I think a lot of what's articulated today in that sector Uh, has roots in what we did here in Westport. Mm. And it's pretty, you know, just to, to give credit where credit is due, a lot of people came together to see that happen. I think the total budget for building the original Levitt Pavilion, not counting uh, donated services and and, Mm -hmm. uh, in-kind donations, was $65,000 at the time. uh, They they (laughs) needed sort of a final gift to close the gap, and uh, someone from the Westport uh, Arts League went to Mortimer and Mimi, and they, they gave the $25,000 gift uh, hmm. to uh, f- finalize everything. And later, when the town cut the ribbon on the facility, uh, it was named in their honor. And, it was a, and as Mimi uh, told it so beautifully in, in one of the, the sort of video mementos she left us, it was a total surprise to them, that it was going to be named for them. Mm. And uh, obviously, uh, we had a long and lovely relationship with them. Mm. And Mimi served on our board for a number of years, and um, up until the time of her passing. And it was really uh, a a beautiful relationship. And they were very supportive. Uh, In more recent years, uh, they steered the foundation toward seating uh, other Levitt Pavilion organizations in a handful of states that were based On the model, the organizational blueprint and mission that Hmm. Frida and her board and uh, that we stewarded and articulated here. And so we're very proud of that association and what we were able to inspire across the country.
0: So, of course, the Levitt Pavilion is unique, but now there are Um, children, (laughs) if you like, or uh, other iterations (laughs) of it around the country. That's fabulous. It's
1: important that, you know, it's not a franchise, right? Each each one is independent and unique within its community, which also, I mean, is really important for any um, arts organization to both, you know, reflect the community that they're in, and then also make priorities uh, in terms of, you know, uh, programming. And uh, for us, here in Westport, it's, it's really essential for us to bring in, again, a number of touring artists and to delight and awe our audiences with so many different genres and, and programmatic hybrids. It's really um, very ambitious and uh, creative, and we like to think outside of the box. And I think all of our peers do as well, you know, but I think the, it's really important that it's uh, each one is recognized for their achievements and um, and also the incredible amount of fundraising that it takes to to make it happen. Mm. So we have a constellation of supporters and sponsors and stakeholders. We have a fabulous board of directors. Um,
0: yes. Is that, and are, the people, are there people you'd like to call out as being especially... Oh, thank- Um, Yes, please. Helpful.
1: (laughs) I know uh, we'd both like to uh, give a special shout out to our board chair, Janet Plotkin, Uh uh, and to her family, the Plotkin family, her husband, Fred, their children, Jonathan, Amanda, and Carolyn. And together, they run the Adolph and Ruth Schnurmacher Foundation. They have been one of our mainstays in terms of funding, and they do amazing work in the Fairfield County and New York-based area, supporting hmm. arts and social services. Uh, they do great work. And I'd also like to, um, in addition to Janet being just an excellent board chair and a super, her family just being such great advocates for the arts, um, that they, as a foundation, uh, prioritized giving in terms of, well, you know the phrase, GenOps. Uh, general operations, right. which uh, really is significant, I think, in in the sectors that we work in, because it means you have a longstanding relationship with an arts organization, and therefore you trust that mission, you believe in what the yes. work they're doing, and to give the funds in an unrestricted way allows that organization to prioritize them and really grow. It's a huge imprimatur and and it means a lot to us. And I think they're very, um, I think they should be recognized for that in the giving community, and I know a lot of other large foundations have found their way to that like the Ford Foundation but it's kind of nice to see um a family foundation like that it, making that kind of uh giving part of their ethos um and then on top of that they uh they had given a significant gift in the um capital campaign uh as well as to what they do for us in, in terms of programmatic support. Mm-hmm. And so this year we will be naming the hospitality building, that beautiful building out front oh, right. um, for yeah. the Plotkin family. Oh. And there'll be a plaque installed and there'll be a fun ceremony. And I hope you'll come, David.
0: Oh, And when will that be, roughly?
1: We're picking the date with Janet. So yes. um, I, I don't know or else I would okay. totally tell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, well, I should also, I want to call out the um, that wonderful, the Schnurrmacher Foundation, as they uh, also have supported the Cultural Alliance over the years. So a, a big heartfelt thank you um, from me. So if you're just joining us, this is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County with our August 2022 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, a monthly interview show on WPKN. FM. Our program today explores the Levitt Pavilion for the Performing Arts in Westport and also other great free music venues and concert series in our region this summer. Our guests are Frida Welsh, Executive Director, and her daughter Carly Welsh, Marketing Director of the Levitt Pavilion. Also joining us by phone are saxophonist Benny Wallace of Backcountry Jazz with the Greenwich Jazz Festival and Paul Frucht, Artistic Director of the Charles Ives Music Festival in Ridgefield. So, Carly, Frida is also there with you, is that right? Yes, yes. Good. So tell us um, how you both got involved with Levitt. Maybe start with Frida.
2: Thank you, David. Um, My husband and I, of course, along with Carly, moved to Westport in 1977. And we got involved in community affairs. And in 1980... Uh, I was invited to join the Levitt Board. And um, so I served as a uh, committee member and Mm -hmm. enjoyed it and got involved a little bit in the fundraising. But in 1982, I had the opportunity to become the chairman of the board. And I served in that position from 1982 until 1990. And um, I think we achieved quite a bit of success in terms of fundraising goals And, um, things went along smoothly. Uh, probably people would think that my biggest challenge was working with Mortimer Levitt. Um, and, but I actually enjoyed the experience. Was he a challenge? Yes. Did I enjoy it? Yes. Overall I did. And I think I made him happy and, um, things worked very smoothly. But in 1990, um, I had an offer to go back into the public sector or private sector and, um, so I decided I would retire and serve on the honorary board until 1995, at which point the pavilion was again in suffering some financial setbacks, and so I was brought on as the first paid executive director. Wow. And so yeah. I've been in that position since 1995, <laughs> um, still love what I do, absolutely have no intention of retiring, <laughs> and... Um, and um, just enjoy working with Carly. I think she and I make a great team. And I'm so proud of what we've achieved.
0: That is amazing. Actually, I had no idea that you were involved from, almost from the very beginning, from the 70s. <laughs> wow, that's an extra 20 years that I didn't know about. It's just
1: one more reason we call it the mothership.
0: <laughs> yes, really. <laughs> so, Carly, you basically grew up with the Levitt Pavilion, is that right?
2: Yes, I she was my first intern, David. <laughs> she was, she earned, earned her stripes stuffing envelopes and running errands. And, uh, she had the same enthusiasm then uh, that she still has now. It's Yes. I, you could say I'm still Frida's intern. Definitely. <laughs> yes.
1: Um, no, I, I did. I grew up, uh, loving the Levitt pavilion and, uh, also being inspired by my parents' commitment to the arts and not for profits. And, uh, and, and also, I love performing myself, so it was, mm. for me, just uh, everything that I love in one. And um, But I did, I after uh, university, I moved to New York, and I had a different career. I was part of a theater company, but then, obviously, when it was mm. time to get insurance, I got a fabulous <laughs> job All in right. corporate... America uh-huh. I was with LVMh uh, in their communications and I did worldwide training for them uh, for a number of years it was a great experience but I have to tell you the siren call of the arts is hmm. just something that you yeah. know you you can't resist yes. and so I went uh, I Worked at uh, both Dixon Place uh, and Performance Space One Hundred and Twenty Two, which is oh, now yes. Performance Space New York, yeah. uh, for a number of years, and um, loved it. In the mean, in the interim, I had uh, was invited to join Frida's board as a board member. I finally got promoted from intern and <laughs> gala invitation stuffer to uh-huh. board member, uh-huh. and. Um, And then uh, at a certain point, there was an opportunity. The capital campaign, uh, you know, it's not, none of them are easy, uh, but we had a successful one at Dixon Place, and um, and, but obviously I was sort of, uh, there was going to be some changes at PS122, and it was sort of a neat opportunity. Uh, It wasn't Frida, um, even though we'd worked together successfully on some other projects in the past. It was her board president, Dan Aaron, who would continually say to me, well, "Now, when are you going to come and work for the Levitt Pavilion?" <laughs> and uh, and I'm so honored and glad that he did. Uh, he really uh, led the initiative to hire me, and um, uh, so when that happened, and, and again, I was you know sort of looking for a brand new horizon and a brand new project, and the Levitt Pavilion was it. So together, uh, you know, Dan and Janet and Frida and I and the board. Uh, finished the capital campaign, and it was one of the most meaningful uh, and most beautiful days. I'll never forget it from start to finish. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, some of the paint was still drying, but when we cut the <laughs> ribbon that day, and uh, my dad was with us too, and he, you know, Janet and Dan both acknowledged that my dad was the unofficial chairman of the Levitt because um, he had set up more chairs than anyone. <laughs> <laughs> over the course right. of uh, its history for uh, our Gala Benefit events. And so we were all there together, and um, it was just uh, thrilling. And the most amazing thing maybe is that that same sense of excitement is one that I have every single day that we have a show here. There's never a day that I don't drive up to the Levitt Pavilion and think, my God, it's really beautiful. <laughs> like, wow. Right. yeah.
0: That's phenomenal.
1: So, so it's, a, it's a family enterprise, yeah. for sure. But there are a lot of families involved, that's for sure, as well. And you're a member of the family, too, David. <laughs>
0: well, thank you very much. Um, it is in, in, an incredible place. So uh, on to the music. Um, so uh, I guess you must have pretty broad tastes, both of you. Do, uh, do you have your own favorite types of music?
1: I'm an omnivore. I, 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 will, I will listen to anything and everything and find my way in. Um,
2: Frida, do you, I mean, I think, will you, I think we share similar tastes. You know, we always seem to come into agreement about the final the final artist list for the season. You know, we maybe bicker a little bit here and there, <laughs> but not too much or not too often. But no, I think we have similar tastes and our, our tastes are widespread. We basically love
1: all kinds of music. So, I think that's important. And it's also um, important to listen for things that are, again, just outside of what, uh, well, again, in this age where algorithms can you yeah, know, decide what right. news you like and, mm-hmm. and you have confirmation bias. Well, yeah, I think you can also have genre bias. And so it's important to really burst your bubble and, and, and think and listen outside the box. Frida has attended a number of you know conferences over the years, and, and obviously I have as well, and and showcases, and developing relationships with agents who will say like you know this person is they're gonna start making some serious noise. Uh, hmm. Tune in, and and those relationships are really hmm. key, also with other curators. Um, I I, have,
2: let's not forget Rolling Stone magazine.
1: And when Rolling Stone magazine, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we haven't let our subscription expire, but also, <laughs> I mean— People like uh, Bill Bragan and and Shanta Thak and what they put together in Global Fest, right? And but now multiply that into other again well curated uh, exploratory bodies that you know you want to make sure that you lean into and sort of mm. you catch. You catch the waves of the next big thing. Or, by the way, not everything has to be the next big thing. You know, like some things are going to stay small, and that's okay. Those are voices Mm -hmm. that should be amplified and experienced as well. And then I also want to give special credit to uh, one of our latest and greatest board members, Andy Fleischman. Um, He has introduced us to a number of uh, great new artists. And uh, Twiddle, I will say, was on our radar but because he uh, was also uh, had some very special relationships in that uh, community, we were able to present Mahali, uh, oh, who's the front yeah. front person and yeah. one of the founding members of Twiddle, and begin a beautiful relationship with him as his, his artist uh, while he's doing his solo career and his solo music projects. But it also then Andy really spearheaded uh, what we just wrapped up, Last weekend, which was uh, Twiddle Weekend, and it was, uh, they headlined on both Friday and Saturday, but there were some beautifully curated bands um, on uh, both Friday and Saturday in support, and they were the Nth Power. Uh, Aggie, who we've also had the great time presenting as a headliner. Mahali also performed his own work. Uh, and Andy also made his, uh, Levitt Pavilion stage debut. So that was pretty cool. And, uh, also a fantastic band, Dwight and Nicole. And any one of those artists are artists that we would be thrilled and, and have already, you know, renewed invitations to come back and headline their own show. But as a weekend, it was just magical. And, and the again, we reached new uh, audience members who hadn't been to the Levitt Pavilion mm. before, who dove into a world, like, for a whole weekend, and there was a very special vibe. There were vendors, food trucks, and we're already planning to do the next one in 2023. But what was really nice was then those audience members found their way to some of the other work that we present, and... And so it was just really, it, it, it's we're still um, we're still walking on air. <laughs>
2: but, but again, we take great great pride in the fact that we present. We continue and we will always strive to present entertainment for all ages yeah. and all tastes. That's, That's not going to
1: change, right? I think it's what's exciting is you know we'll have a big band show, and um, and and you, Alan Langton and the New York uh, All Star oh, Big Band uh-huh. or Vince. Giordano uh, or uh, Dan Levinson, who's the featured clarinetist in both, by the way, and his wife is a fabulous vocalist, Molly Ryan. And on those nights, it's like people have this preconceived notion of like who the audience is going to be for a big band night. And by and large, sure, maybe that's like 50% of the audience, but the other half is always going to surprise you. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget watching a couple of kids in Game of Thrones T-shirts uh, really bust out some serious swing dancing moves, you know? So, and then you have these new up-and-coming big band uh, people like uh, Danny Jonacucci and uh, we had him uh, just a few weeks ago, and he's, all of his recordings watching these young artists also inhabit uh, more classic forms. We've got Ava Marie, Tatiana, Ava Marie coming through with some gypsy jazz, including. So like, if you like Django Reinhardt, you'll love Uh this show, but she's also created her own lyrics to go with a lot of songs that normally don't have lyrics. And, and so it's like, wow, like she's making it her own. And, um, She's a young artist, and and it's very exciting, again, to just watch. Clay Ross was here just last night, and he is a Grammy Award winner. Uh, He's also someone like the State Department sends out to the world on global Uh music-making missions. He's Uh amazing. Well, think about his projects, right? He has a Brazilian bluegrass hybrid band called Matuto, which is how we first met him. And then he created Ranky Tinky, which won Grammy. And uh, and that was about preserving a Gullah music tradition from the South. Uh, but it has brought a whole new generation, intergenerational listenership to a style of music that was actually could have gone extinct and so how do you even what yeah. there's no way to pigeonhole that and there shouldn't be. And so he was here last night with a project called American Patchwork Quartet. Oh right. Four yes. amazing yeah. artists in their own right and then they come together and they re-explore folk music mm. uh specifically too with a lens of of immigration and and experience different experiences of what it is to be a quote-unquote American. And it's I mean it's just phenomenal. It's just phenomenal. phenomenal
0: what you're doing, the both of you. The program is just so broad and rich. It's um, extraordinary. Well, time has flown, Carly. Um, oh, no. I know <laughs> you had said, um, I'd asked you what some of the um, upcoming performances you were looking forward to. And one of them oh, is Alison yeah. Russell. Um, uh, when, will be, when will she be um, performing?
1: Okay, Allison Russell is coming on August twenty
3: first.
0: Okay. And
1: just she was on Night Flyer is a single from Outside Child, uh, that was on the top of every like album list uh in twenty twenty one, including and Night Flyer was on the Barack Obama top ten songs that he listened to um in twenty twenty one. And also she's opening for Brandy Carlisle, but also that fabulous moment when Joni Mitchell appeared. Uh, uh, at Newport that was made possible by Brandi Carlisle. I mean, mm. but who's on stage? It's Joni, it's uh, Brandy, it's Winona, and Alison Russell was there. <laughs> so I know she's still, I think, levitating from the magic of that moment. And, and, <laughs> but, and she was here in 2019 as part of our Native Daughters. So we also, um, we also feel like we're the Hotel California, right? We believe in long-term relationships with artists and, and, and we are so proud to be associated with her and to be presenting her again. Um, and so as we say to artists that we love, it's like the Hotel California. They can <laughs> check out anytime they like, but they can never really leave. That's great.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so <laughs> much.
1: <don't>
3: <laughs> Thanks
0: so much for joining us today. And uh, we'll go out, we'll end the segment with um, Night Flyer. And again, thank you both of you both of you for everything that you're doing it's just really David, thank you exciting thank you,
3: David. okay here thank is
0: allison russell with Nightflyer. <laughs>
3: Promise that the dawn will bring you. you, I'm the melody and the space between every note the swallow sings. I'm fourteen vultures circling. I'm that crawling dying thing on the smog above the trees. Good Lord, the fire on the branch that's burning.
0: If you're just joining us, that was from Alison Russell's Night Flyer. and this is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County with the August 2022 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, a monthly interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. Today, our program explores the Levitt Pavilion for the Performing Arts in Westport and other great free music venues and concert series in our region this summer. Our guests today were Frida and Carly Walsh uh, from the Levitt Pavilion. And also joining us by phone today are saxophonist Benny Wallace of Backcountry Jazz with the Greenwich Jazz Festival, and Paul Frucht, Artistic Director of the Charles Ives Music Festival in Ridgefield. So I'd like now to introduce tenor sax player and founder of Backcountry Jazz and the Greenwich Jazz Festival, Benny Wallace. Welcome, Benny.
4: How are you, David?
0: I am great, and I'm so happy that you could join us today. Um, So, Benny, many people will know you. You're a renowned tenor sax player. You grew up in Tennessee. You still got that great twang, I notice, um, in your voice. Uh, You moved to New York, what, in the 70s, early 70s? Played with the National Jazz Ensemble, Eddie Gomez, Danny Richmond, among others. And you're widely recorded on the Blue... Blue Note and is it Enja?
4: Enja Records and Audio Quest Records
0: right uh, yeah. so you sounds like you had a thriving jazz performing career in New York um, what prompted your move to Connecticut?
4: well uh, Jeanette and I had been in Los Angeles for seven years i have been oh. primarily writing oh. film and TV music yeah. and uh, we got enough of it and came back and, and uh <laughs> So we, we've landed here, and, and it's, it, it's been really good.
0: That's great. Um, so tell us about backcountry jazz. And for those who don't know Greenwich, first tell us what backcountry refers to.
4: Well, backcountry is the area out kind of toward the Westchester Airport. It, it, it is, we've got a bird sanctuary out here. It's kind of a, uh-huh. a remote part of Greenwich on the, right on the New York line. With a very and, distinctive
0: uh, flavor it sounds like
4: yeah and, and it's a it's a wonderful place to live and and we've got a lot of wonderful spaces out here to make music ah. and um, so yeah we've uh, and backcountry jazz started in two thousand and seven uh, we did we played a concert uh, with uh, I played a quartet concert with Mulgrew Miller and uh, uh, one of the people in the audience decided we should start a nonprofit to, to continue doing these concerts, and uh, oh. it's been a long, winding road <laughs> since then. But, uh-huh. but, uh, but that's how it got started.
0: And um, you've done—you do a huge amount with young people, is that right?
4: Yes, yes. We we've been uh, involved in Bridgeport, I think, for about oh twelve or thirteen years now, oh. and. Uh, we do a, a. We just finished a month-long summer music program at the University of Bridgeport for mm. Bridgeport kids. Yeah, and uh, uh, and we have an after-school program during the school year. Uh, it's been really a lot of fun, and and we've produced some really amazing young musicians, and, and I'm very proud of it that. Must be very gratifying.
0: Yeah. So tell us about the festival. When did that um, start? Did that emerge out of the work you've been doing with? youngsters or was it independent
4: that really emerged out of COVID oh really Uh, huh yeah you know if if you stop and think about it COVID has a lot of lessons to teach us (laughs) yes and and, uh, we've been wanting to do more concerts for years because we started out as a concert organization and and then we got uh, really involved in Bridgeport and Right after COVID, I heard a doctor say that as long as you're outside and six feet away from people, uh-huh. it's safe. And and we have this wonderful lawn, um, probably about three acres outside our house. And so we started doing concerts for, for just very small, limited audiences just mm-hmm. to see, make sure everything was safe. Yeah. We were just literally stood out in the yard and played with no <laughs> microphones or anything. Uh-huh and it evolved into you know somebody came along and said well I've got a portable stage in the sound system so we started doing that and oh my it just gosh, kept fantastic. growing, and, growing. Yeah. Uh-huh. and this is our third year and so we've been wanting to have a Greenwich Jazz Festival for some time and we said okay now's the time to to leap into it so we've stepped up the the uh uh The the artists that we invited, I mean, we had great artists right from the very beginning, but, you know, we're bringing in more varieties and different kinds of things. And and, uh, uh, I'm I'm really happy with it. It's it's enabling us to make a lot of music, which is what we want to do and and get the music out to the people. And, And, you know, our our concerts are free, so it's a service to the community. And, uh, of course, when we started it, nobody was doing anything. You know, yeah. the musicians weren't working, and the right. people had no place to go. So it really brought everyone together. And and uh, uh, and now, as the world is opening back up, we're, we've got our foot in the door. So you know, it's it's really <laughs> a cool thing.
0: And it's it's not just the summer; it's spread out over several months. Is is that right?
4: Well, uh, you know, it, again, started in COVID, and we only do when it's when the weather's warm enough. So we'll uh-huh. probably go to about the middle of October.
0: Oh, terrific!
4: And uh, But now I have my eye on an indoor venue that might be a, a, a good place to do a, a, a different kind of, of concerts in the winter, you know, COVID permitting. And so um, hopefully we'll get this going year-round. Uh, Fantastic.
0: Yeah. Well, tell us um, something about the upcoming concerts. What should people look for and how do they find them?
4: Well, you go to backcountryjazz.org mm-hmm. and... and um, uh, and contact Jeanette and and you know every you have to have reservations to come mm-hmm. and when you when you get reservations uh Jeanette will tell you where the concert. are i love that be. system <laughs> right <laughs> yeah that 's great and, and yeah. uh uh so you know, so that's that's the way it's done. And the, the next concert will be uh, a week from today, next Monday, the fifteenth. Okay. And we're we're having like one of my absolute favorite musicians, the guitarist Anthony Wilson. Mm-hmm. And Anthony and I have worked together since he was just out of high school when I was in Los Angeles. And and. Uh, uh we've done things with with uh, a nine piece band and co-written projects together and uh, he's, he's one of my my favorite associates and he'll be here next monday terrific and uh, and we'll have uh, the bassist uh, uh y- 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 susie uh nakamura mm-hmm. and uh uh and and we're we're hi- hiring one of our, our uh, backcountry jazz protégés, Benton Hines, to play drums. That's Bent, great. Benton just, yeah. Benton just won a, a big scholarship to uh, Manhattan School of Music. And he is an amazing drummer. And, yeah. and I'm so excited to be playing with him and Anthony. I, I just, this, this is going to really be fun.
0: That's great. And, and then
4: two weeks after that, we have Bill Frizzell. Oh, my gosh. We'll yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll have Bill Frizzell, Nasheet Waits, and, and Mark Elias. And then in uh, early September on the 11th, we've got uh, uh, Godwin Louis, who's another one of my favorite colleagues, a uh, wonderful alto saxophone players, player who's from Bridgeport, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, he travels all over the world. He's one of the the... Leading young saxophone players, players in the business today. That's fantastic. And after that, we've got uh, 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 Terrell Stafford, a wonderful trumpet player, and, and a lot another longtime associate of mine. And somewhere in there, uh, Harlan Riley and and uh, Peter Washington will be coming back. We're we're, we're still scheduling a couple of things That's right great. now.
0: That's great. So it's back country, jazz. Dot O-R-G. is that right?
4: Right, backcountryjazz.org. And uh, the phone number is area 203-561-3111. That's okay. area 203-561-3111. And uh, that'll put you in touch with Jeanette uh, if you want to make reservations that way.
0: That's great. Well, um, Time is up, <laughs> Benny, I'm afraid. Uh, just to take us over into our next segment, um, I think you um, have a sample song, maybe from one of your recordings you'd like us to play?
4: Yes, this is, um, this is a recording that I made with uh, uh, the late Mulgrew Miller, who was uh, a dear friend and associate of mine and with uh, Peter Washington playing bass, who's going to be doing a couple more concerts with us this summer, and Yorani Israel on drums. We did a a whole album of George Gershwin music, and this is called The Man I Love.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Benny.
4: Um, Thank you. you. It's been a pleasure.
0: And just before we go there, I'd just like to call out to uh, make a call out to another free jazz festival that's taken place over quite a few years, and that's Jazz Fridays at the Fairfield Museum and History Center, starting this Friday with the Bill Crow Quartet. And in following weeks, Isabella Mendez, Chris Coogan, and on Sunday, August 28th, a rescheduled concert featuring Brian Torf and special guests. So uh, put that on our calendar. Does
4: does Bill Crow live up here?
0: He does. He does, yeah. So that's quite... He's uh,
4: there. There's a piece of history. Quite a right legend, there,
0: there. right? <laughs> okay, yeah, thank. He's
4: also he's also a wonderful writer.
0: Right. So, thank you, Benny, and let's hear the man I love. Mm-hmm. If you're just joining us, that was from a 2015 Enger recording of George and Ira Gershwin's The Man I Love with Benny Wallace on saxophone. This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County and our August 2022 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, a monthly interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. Our program today explores the Levitt Pavilion for the Performing Arts in Westport and other great free music venues and concert series in our region this summer. Our guests today were, have been Frieda Welsh and her daughter Carly of the Levitt Pavilion. Also joining us by phone was saxophonist Benny Wallace of Backcountry Jazz with the Greenwich Jazz Festival. And I'm now welcoming Paul Frucht, Artistic Director of the Charles Ives Music Festival in Ridgefield. So welcome, Paul
5: Hi, David. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yes, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us. So uh, you're a young composer. You got your master's and doctorate in music composition from the Juilliard School in New York. And uh, is it, am I right in that while you were there, you began your association with the Western Connecticut Youth Orchestra based in Ridgefield and its Charles Ives Music Festival? Tell us how that came yeah. about.
5: Well, I actually I actually founded the Charles Ives Music Festival ah, okay. um, in 2015. Yes. Um, and then we brought it to the Western Connecticut Youth Orchestra in 2019. Um, but you're correct in that my affiliation began with them uh, via their composer in residence program in 2017. Got ah. to know the organization that way. Um, and then in 2019, it made a lot of sense to... Uh, bring it to the WCYO, and it's been wonderful being here with them ever since.
0: Uh, so, for those listeners who, for those few listeners who may not be familiar with Charles Ives, can you sketch a portrait of him and why he's so important to our region?
5: Sure. So, Charles Ives grew up in Danbury um, in the late 19th century, um, and his father was a marching band leader. And so Charles Ives as a kid was exposed to a lot of the kinds of folk music you might expect a marching band to play um, and ended up being a composer and uh, experimented with taking that folk music and inserting it right into his music. Um, And that may seem uh, not that uh, progressive, but at the time it was Quite a, mm-hmm. quite a novel idea, as many American composers were writing in a kind of romantic European style. But what Charles Ives did um, is, via those folk tunes that he heard growing up in Danbury, um, created or had a large part in creating what we think of as the American sound.
3: Mm.
0: And
5: for that reason, he's mm. really a pioneering American composer uh, from right here in Danbury.
0: Yeah, very important. And So what's the profile of the range of music that you play in the festival? Um, I mean, obviously some Charles Ives music, but um,
5: other music as well that's uh, related to what he does? Yes. So, yeah. So um, we're called the Charles Ives Music Festival as an homage to him. And because we do play his music uh, at our concert on Wednesday, um, this coming Wednesday at uh, First Congregational Church, Um, you'll hear The Unanswered Question, which is a famous Uh, work of his. Um, And what we do is we look at his famous works. We look at his whole kind of ethos and what he was really writing about. And we've created a concert series that's based off those ideas. And the way we bring those ideas to musical life uh, is we program primarily American works and primarily works by living American composers to kind of tell the stories that Ives is intent on telling through his music. And of course, because he's such a pioneering American composer, um, us living American composers and all the American composers <laughs> who have lived in between Ives and those of us today, uh, we're truly his legacy um, in carrying that torch forward.
0: So um, where do the concerts take place and how many uh, remain this season?
5: So we have a, yeah, we have a couple of concerts remaining. Um, uh, We have a concert coming up on Wednesday. Um, The title of the concert is The Unanswered Question, Mm -hmm. and you'll, of course, hear The Unanswered Question, um, along with works by John Ziner, Will Stackpole, um, Han Lash, um, and we're also doing a world premiere by Derek Geary, and we're doing a piece by uh, Vaughn Williams as well. Um, mm-hmm. And then our final concert of the summer season takes place um, this coming uh, Friday um, at Ridgefield High School at 7 p.m. And that's our, uh, those, that's our student composers, as well as our orchestra and our chamber orchestra. And the highlight of that concert, of course, in addition to our student composers, um, who are a big part of what we do. Uh, we're doing a work by Aaron Kernis, who also uh, has Connecticut roots as he teaches at Yale. Um, and those are our remaining two concerts for this season.
0: And um, the next season will be during the year or next summer.
5: Yes, we'll have a concert in October. We do some we do some one off concerts throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, We'll have a concert in October. Cellist Julian Schwartz and pianist Marika Bornacki, oh. who have been with us many times before, yeah. and they'll be performing with us in October. Um, and then we'll have Molly Carr and Anna Petrova, the latter of whom was uh, with us at the festival this year, last week. Um, and they'll be coming in April. And then we'll have probably one more towards the end of uh, the regular season next year. And then, of course, um, our summer 2023 concerts which Great. we're all
0: very excited about and how do people find out what do you have a website people can
5: consult? yes you can go to org.
0: oh that's simple <laughs> good well good luck this um this week you have two concerts then this week yep. is that right one on wednesday and one on friday
5: yep both yes. 7 p.m first congregational church wednesday ridgefield high school friday
0: Well, Paul, I'm sorry this is so short, but I really think this is one of the more important festivals that people should know about. And um, I hope to meet you very soon. Thanks very much for joining us.
5: And yes, it's been a pleasure speaking to you.
0: This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County. You've been listening to our August 2022 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, a monthly interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. Today we explored the Levitt Pavilion for the Performing Arts in Westport and other great free music venues and concert series in our region this summer. Our guests were Frida and Carly Walsh with the Levitt Pavilion. Joining us by phone also were saxophonist Benny Wallace of Backcountry Jazz with the Greenwich Jazz Festival, and Paul Frucht, Artistic Director of the Charles Ives Music Festival in Ridgefield. If you missed part of the broadcast or just want to hear it again, you can hear the show on WPKN Podcasts on SoundCloud. I'm David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County. Please tune in next month for the next edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture.